good morning happy friday and welcome to the third episode of the find your place podcast with bianca and jess before we get started with this episode we did want to give a big shout out to everyone who has been supporting us thus far sending us all their words of encouragement we are so excited to be here with you all and thank you for joining us on this new venture so last week was our second episode and we had the incredible Kate Brodick here, mm-hmm. who I call the super mama realtor. And we <laughs> spoke all things real estate, work ethic, burnout, realignment and goal setting. And this week, Bianca and I are so excited to have two very special guests with us who came all the way from Cambridge to join us this morning. One of them is a trailblazer in his industry. He is a well-respected leader in his community and an overall incredible and humble friend and mentor. And did I forget to mention the number one Remax agent in Canada? We are so happy to have Faisal Susawali here and his son, Youssef. And they're joining us today for our third episode. We are so happy to have you here. So a warm welcome to you both from Bianca and I and from our viewers and listeners. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. We're so excited to have you on. We've both read your book. I'm like going to, I'm going to plug that in right away. Let's plug in this book. The real deal right away. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Faisal was just telling me that uh, a lot of the time when people ask him questions now, he just hands them the book. (laughs) All the answers are in the book. It's a little bit of time, right? (laughs) Awesome. So um, I would want to start off by saying, I mean, Bianca and I both have read your book. We've also listened to the audible version of it. And um, in our honest opinions, we think that you are uh, an example of someone who is super resilient, who is a forward thinker, also super innovative, and also someone who takes life um, what's that saying? A bull by their horns? Is that the saying? The English thing? <laughs> I yeah, like to say right? by the balls. Someone who essentially has a vision and really moves forward with that vision in mind. And it's clear because you've created a life that you've you've really wanted for yourself. And this morning when I jumped on Instagram right before we got here, I saw you posted something on Instagram. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, you wrote, it all starts with a dream. right so it all starts with a dream and for some people it could be vision it could be dream goal whatever it is the whichever way we want to interpret it but it does all start with a dream and i think you've created the life that you've wanted for yourself so we're so happy to have you here because our listeners and viewers are in for a treat you've got a lot to share and we're happy to have you here because yes people can read the book but now they can hear from you as well so i would like to start off by asking you Is there a quote or a mantra that you live by which has helped you get to where you are in life? So when I first started in the business, uh, I met a very wonderful man by the name of Reed Maneri. And uh, the first statement he made to me is what I've always lived by. And that is, do a good job, do the right thing, and the money will come. Don't think about the money. And I've lived by that my entire life. Uh, so many times, you know, opportunities have been there to make a lot of money on something, but I've passed that because I didn't feel it was the right thing to do or the right advice to give. And as a young person starting on the business, you know, you've got to really think about what you're doing because you're actually investing in your own future and it's not a flash in the pan, one-time deal. So you have to think about it. If mm-hmm. I do this knowingly that it's not the right 
option for this buyer or this seller. Um, is that going to bite me later? And most of the times it will, because people will realize that the advice you gave them was the wrong advice mm -hmm. and it was probably self-serving. So success takes a little bit longer, but it comes. And when it does, it comes in massive amounts. And, and that's, uh, you know, 33 years later, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm glad to say that I've been able to keep uh, the majority of my past clients and, and third and fourth generation of the same family as a result. Wow, so I've invested awesome. in my future. Yeah. Right. That's, it's so insightful, right? To, um, to be able to, to start off so young with that type of ethical mindset, right? And what a place to do it in real estate, because as you're saying, it's branding. We want to talk about a little bit about branding and this reputation that you've, you've built. And it's, through this ethical mindset, is there advice that you would give people entering the business at any age? So you you started at eighteen, right? Yeah, That's yeah. Young. Were you out of high school ready, or you were transitioning? You were in the stage of just wrapping up the twelfth grade. So I had yeah, I had finished grade twelve, okay. and I had the summer off. So and off being, I was always selling something I was a, an entrepreneur like just in my blood so I was always selling t-shirts or water softeners or <laughs> fake Rolex watches door to door I mean, was that door to door no it wasn't door. it was it was I, I took a, a commercial uh uh technique in selling this so I'd go to car dealerships and sell car sales and people oh my gosh it was the game even yeah <laughs> <laughs> and we were printing uh t-shirts you know of course you know I'm gonna violate every copyright here but yeah, yeah. and Valentino yeah. and you name it I had that in the back yeah. of my trunk and I was selling that. At, Pioneered uh, that because that's still happening. You oh, know? yeah, it is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah, a long, long time ago. My brother had the driver's license, so he would drive me. And uh, But um, yeah, so very early on, you know, I where were we here? I was, uh, the question again, just repeat. Oh, so, so you I got were sidetracked. Um, high school-wise. High school, were grade you 12. Yeah, yeah, so I, I was in grade 12. I went to Conestoga College, which was a local community college, and they had a six-week course on real estate. And I did not know that it was a licensing course. I watched late-night television. Tom Vu was on, and uh, he was with really hot babes on the back of a yacht. And I'm thinking, I want to be this guy. Infomercial, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Of course, that guy got in a lot of trouble later on. I didn't know what he was doing, but, I, you know, he had fast cars, yachts, and beautiful girls on, a, uh, on that yacht. And I'm like, I want to be this guy. Right? <laughs> I'm sure there's a version of that that you're you're seeing yeah. as well. Right? Somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No hot babes, no yachts, but yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, that got me into learning about real estate because he said that he invested in real estate and became this very rich person. He was an immigrant. Um, he could couldn't speak English, and this is how he made it. I'm like, you know, this is pretty cool. And um, at the end of a six week course, so you know. For, for all of you newer people, it's yeah. six, six months, a year, whatever it is. <laughs> it was six weeks. And, you know, if you have a, if you have a, have the courses done, you have a pulse, you can become a real estate <laughs> yeah. agent, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I went back to complete my OAC, which was at that time, like there was grade 13. Yes. And Ontario yeah, Academic yeah. Credits. yeah. So I was finishing that, but I had a pager and I would skip class to go show homes. Wow. So that was. Parents must have loved that. Uh, yeah, beginning. I can tell them I was doing no. that. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. What did they think at the beginning? Oh, they were totally against it because, you know, first generation um, coming to this country to give us education. And I'm telling my mom and dad that, look, I'm not, and I had just been accepted at every university that I had applied to. 
And then to tell them that I'm not going to go to university and I'm doing this. I'm going to run with a six-week course and see where it takes me. Exactly. Yeah. Every immigrant parent's <laughs> worst nightmare. Yeah. And, and, you know, real estate agents didn't have a good reputation. And, and, and I mean, to a certain extent, you know, we're nothing against used car salespeople, but we're one notch above used car salespeople. So we have to do better. We have to prove that we are uh, better people and we are going to be able to um, you know, add value to, to, to people as mm -hmm. opposed to just in it for the big bucks. It's right? interesting you say that because yesterday I was speaking to a young adult and he was like, Hey, you're a real estate agent. I was wearing my Remax pen. I said, yeah. And then like he mumbles it cause he, he didn't, he wanted to make the statement, but he didn't. He's <clears> like, <throat> well, I heard real estate agents are all liars. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I hate that that's, you know, how we're known. And yeah. perhaps maybe if the courses were affiliated with the university, it would change people's perception of realtors, right? Yeah. That was actually are. the reason why I never got it when I was 18. I wanted to get it, but I was like, same thing. Uh, a child of immigrant parents, they came here to give my brother and I a good life. And I'm going to say, no, mom and dad, I don't want to go to university, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, Absolutely. okay. So your parents were against it, but I remember you mentioned uh, in your book that you had an uncle. Yes. So my mother's uncle was a professor at Brock University, a professor of education, nonetheless, right? So with a uh, British accent, with a British accent. Yep. Yeah. His name was William Richard Bond. He's passed away, Bond. but he was a wonderful, wonderful <laughs> Richard man. Richard Bond. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I should have got that name. Yeah. So I, I wish I had the accent. Yeah. Um, so he he came down because you know Uncle Bond was very respected by my parents, and uh, he came down and uh, tried to. My parents had come and talk sense into this kid, tell him, you know, you should not, you know, give up university, you have a bright future, you know, this type of thing. So he came down and I said, okay. And I listened to him and then uh, he turned around to me and said, okay, Fazal, like, so are you convinced you're going to go to university, right? I said, well, no. I said, I'm making good money. And he's like, well, you know, it's a commission job. I know a lot of realtors, they don't make a lot of money. So I had been two months into the business and I had a really lucky streak where I met some investors from South Africa who chose to work with me. And the first 60 days that I was in the business, I was able to sell $2 million worth of real estate. And, and, and that's way back when, when yeah, homes were not a million dollars. No, yeah. no, it was uh, the average price of a home where I was, was 130000 But wow. they bought a commercial building from me and they bought two blocks of townhomes in Ingersoll. So that gave me my first start. And in those days, uh, commission for um, a cooperating broker, and it's gone down a lot lately, but it used to be 3%. So here mm -hmm. I am, an 18-year-old kid still in high school that just made $60,000 gross commission <laughs> in my first two months. And I told him this. I mean, he looked at my mom and dad and said, this kid's making more money than I am. Let him mm -hmm. do what he wants to do. Here. Mm -hmm. And he, he supported me, and I'll forever be grateful Aww. to him for that okay so i think a lot of us are wondering um we're looking i'm looking at yusuf so <laughs> you're two years older than when your dad was when he started in the industry yes. are you in the real estate game or do you have interest in it or did you kind of just go and and do something else yeah so when i was coming out of high school my parents kind of left it up to me uh you know as long as i decide to get a good education whatnot do what makes you happy where you think you're going to be successful uh, at the time, um, I was really interested in the medical field. Nice. Uh, so right now, I'm in second year health sciences at uh, Western University. Nice. Um, yeah, but just through some of the courses I've been able to take and whatnot, uh, I still have that you know love for science and and 
the medical world, but recently kind of started in taking an interest in what dad's doing as well. <laughs> Ooh, um, so yeah, that's kind of, uh, I'm kind of deciding moving forward now to uh, use my time to, you know, still continue along with the science and, uh, and that side of things in the medical field, because mm -hmm. that's kind of where, you know, most of my talent lies uh, in terms of academics. Right. Um, but then within that, um, you know, we can use electives to choose whatever we want. And so I'm going to start taking some, you know, business courses as well. So that way I just have a bit more of a well-rounded education. Of course. And then coming out of Western, I'll be able to, you know, make a more informed decision, maybe maybe help dad out a little bit. Yeah. Or, <laughs> med school. Not too sure yet. But yeah, the, the whole point of it is just, I've kind of realized that uh, you can't really be tunnel visioned, right? So um, just, yeah, that's pretty much where where I'm at with that, just waiting to see what happens. What happens. So you have two more years left, two and then more. at that point, you'll be able to decide, right? And at that point, you'll have your degree, and you can decide whether you move forward. Exactly. But I feel like you're probably going to start jumping yeah. more into the real so estate I, I must world. Say, I'm, I'm probably the only East Indian alive that does not want his kid to be a doctor. But still, he shows of his own accord going Absolutely. into the medical yes. field. No, I'm I in love full that. support yeah. of what my kids want to do because, yeah. look, I was very lucky that my parents didn't stand in the way of what I really felt I wanted to do mm -hmm. so I and, and I say this to a lot of uh, especially immigrant parents that yeah. there are other options there's you know don't paint your kids into that box and say this is what you have to do give them options and that was one of the major lessons that I had in my book for young people was to give them that inspiration to do what they really feel because they can be successful in whatever they want to do as long as they're happy doing what they're doing and as long as there's a passion and Absolutely. i believe you mentioned that in in your book like you were genuinely passionate about it and were inquisitive and you wanted to know more right so absolutely at the end of the day that's what drives us passion yeah. and curiosity Ooh. yeah if you can wake up every morning and feel happy to face the day and just really ready to go out there and do what you love it's not work at all mm -hmm. it's fun and you're you're engaging with people every day is very different you're not you know behind a desk doing that same repetitive action and that's what drives me mm -hmm. let's talk about some of the scarier times in your life let's talk about um times where you had a sort of i'm sure there's a few but the ones that come to mind uh, where you had a bit of a wake-up call and you looked around and you went okay what else is there yeah so I, I started in 1988 uh, 1989 we started the recession mm -hmm. and then came 1990 and I had as a very young person invested with one of my investors that were from South Africa and I was the local Canadian resident so the corporation was in my name mm. and I just basically took the commission that I was earning on that building purchase and put it back into uh, exactly and it was a small percentage it was five percent of the uh, ownership in this in this building oh, wow. but I wanted to get started and I was really ambitious and I wanted to do this and I thought oh this is great I'm partnering with these amazing people and it was great and unfortunate that the market started turning we literally went down 35% in the matter of six months. Wow. Uh, so by 1990, um, I was about to turn 20. Oh. And um, we had a completely vacant commercial building. Uh, I couldn't lease it. Interest rates were high. 
like we couldn't keep up with the payments. So at the age of 19, I filed for bankruptcy. Wow. And on behalf of the company, but I was the Canadian on there. And, you know, it, it felt horrible. So you took a lot of that risk. Like, Absol- it was all Absolutely. Risk. But, you know, uh, we all lost money. And that's one of the things that, you know, um, I also had skin in the game. And I talk about this, that if you're in it, and you're also losing and it wasn't just because you gave someone bad advice and look i had no uh way of of, of forecasting what was going to happen to the economy and that we were going to go into this recession and that the recession lasted almost till 2000 so it was almost a 10 year mm-hmm. dry spell yeah but it was interesting that those investors didn't begrudge me were not upset with me didn't say oh like we shouldn't have listened to an 18 year old 19 and then i had mr Maneri that was mentoring and overseeing things and and no one could have thought that this was going to happen um but they participated in future investments with me because they knew that a i stopped the bleeding very quickly mm-hmm. i didn't let them bleed out and keep investing money where, where a lot of people did mm-hmm. they kept investing and i said look let's just stop this i'll take the hit i'll do the bankruptcy and at least that way you're not every month sending me money did anyone guide you through the the process of the bankruptcy like did mr maneri tell you like this is what it's going to look like this is how long it's going to be this is how it's your age all of the pros and cons of it or was it more like a i'm doing it i just did it okay i I, i'm very decisive when it comes to that i make that decision and i don't look back uh you know right or wrong i i did what i felt i needed to do and there i would have also put my family at risk because i would have had to turn to my parents and try to put a mortgage on that home Mm. or increase the mortgage i thought it's just not worth it because i could actually hurt my entire family by doing this and they had taken a big chance we had just bought a home together Mm -hmm. so and and you know um sort of multi-generational living is very common in East Indian uh, society and now it's sort of happening everywhere yep. um, and we were all feeding the same pool and trying to stay above water and uh, it just didn't make sense for me to continue and so it was a really important lesson learned at a very early stage in my career and from that moment on I've been extremely cautious but not risk adverse because I know what to look for and I'm I'm always Look, forecasting and looking at trends and looking at the market and just gives me a, a stronger footing when I'm investing now. So now for your outlook on what's happening. Yes. Now I want to hear. <laughs> I want to hear because you know we have a lot of people. Uh, well, we have a lot of people who are hopeful and we have a lot of people that are freaking out. Yes. What do you say about this based on all of your experience with recessions? Are we going into one? So you know, it, it, yeah, million dollar question, right? Right. Um, I don't believe we're going to go into. We are experiencing a temporary pause. I'll tell you why. There's a lot of factors that are happening right now uh, that are um, having a psychological impact more than a real, real impact. So let's look at the fundamentals. Back in the 90s, so I've been through three cycles of recessions. Yeah, I was about to right? say, yeah, that's, that's, why, that's yeah. why I'm like, this is important right. to ask. Yeah. So back in the 90s, the problem was there was an abundance of inventory and wasn't enough population to warrant the inventory. Um, interest rates were high like 13 percent interest rates um it's crazy because some people don't even they can't even fathom that no and, or, yeah. or that, that yeah. existed there's there that's not even in people's that's right it, exactly uh, my parents had had a mortgage at 21 percent in, in, in the late 70s yeah. right so you know prices were lower Different, and whatnot yeah. but still so when you look at what's going on in the world right now um, we have half a million new immigrants coming into ontario each year just in the golden horseshoe 
we have a housing crisis where there's not enough homes for the population that's here. Construction costs is an all-time high. It's quadrupled in the last two years. So builders are not going to do charitable work and build these homes for less than their cost. So people will have to buy resale homes. They will have to come into this market and have... And, and need that place to live. So we're going to find that this is happening. Look, gas prices are up. So commuters are saying, well, I'm not going to go into the suburbs. I'll try to try to buy locally. Um, interest rates are going up, but so what? They're still less than pre-COVID and they're still less than what mm-hmm. we've been used to over, over the last 20 years. Um, it's the media. So Royal Bank comes out and says, uh, you know, we're going to see a 25% decline in prices by the end of the year. Let me remind you that Royal Bank also said in the beginning of COVID that we're going to see a 25% decline. I'm not just picking on Royal Bank. I actually Most bank them, with Royal yeah. Bank. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but all the banks are saying the same thing, that there's going to be a decline. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you keep talking about it, it's going to happen. People, people pause. But this is looking at the numbers, though, either. We're not looking at the fact that everything's gone up 30%, 40% year over year either, exactly. right? Exactly. And look, okay, so we're up 62% since uh, 2020. Um, so what if we drop 10 points? Does that really matter? Mm-hmm. Unless you're exiting, cashing out, and never going to buy yes. again, it doesn't matter. It's all relative. So if you're in the same market, but this is a great opportunity. So all of us who were working with buyers and had buyer fatigue and all that bad stuff that was going on. This is a time to reach out to your buyers and say, okay, here it is. There's a window of opportunity to get into the marketplace right now. Prices dropped 10 points. So what if interest rates went up? You're still in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Your cost of buying that home is still going to be exactly the same because we're a payment buyer. We're not a equity cash buyer. So your payment's going to be the same. So you're just buying that home for less money, which will still be the same payment. So don't pause right now. And you know, agents have become very lazy and it was very easy to sell a home. You put up a sign and it's sold, right? So what did we all do? We stopped marketing. We stopped branding. We stopped reaching out. We stopped engaging with our people. We didn't have anything going on. Everybody just thought, oh, like Tim Horton's drive-through, you know, next, next. This is where... And in times of recession, times of slowing down is where you can captivate market. And that's what I've done. The same actions that you take, you can't pause them. You can't have feast or famine in this business. It's always famine. And you've always got to live with what's going to happen tomorrow. So you can't stop branding, can't stop marketing, can't stop investing. As long as you keep doing that and you're consistent, you will gain the market. And that's what I did. I saw what the top producers in my market in my region we're doing but they what would they do they would market in march and they would stop in the summer because everybody's taking a you know break they had their commission checks already in and then christmas was coming so like well we'll just wait and then we'll start again in march mm-hmm. so there would be so many pauses as opposed to every three weeks a piece of mail or something is going out to your farming area and that's the way to stay engaged with your audience so today we have the wonderful uh, tools of social media. You can engage every single day by putting out content, putting out advice and updates and whatnot. And it's free. You know, my okay. marketing cost is down by 65% Wow! because of social media. Right. So I had a question on that note. So we, I mean, in the book, you've spoken about how you still flyer. You still flyer to this day, right? It's been over 30 years now. So, so no, I've stopped sending the flyers out okay. now, but I, I was doing that on a consistent basis. And sporadically, if there's an area where 
look, I'll be honest, if I see a competitor doing it, I'm going to do it three times more <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the yeah, same yeah. area. So you can't stop. Yeah. You know, okay. you've got to uh, really put more output more in order to get that. Right. Okay. So then there's your, do you do bus benches? Is yeah. So I have 21 buses that I'm on the back of. So I'm on the back of the bus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you go to Cambridge, yeah. 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 So you're going to see in it's front great. of the you. Little, little kids think I'm a bus driver. You know? yeah. it's, it's awesome. Yeah. But, but they'll remember you moving forward, you know, 20 Absolutely. years after that. Absolutely. I remember who that was. Yeah. I mean, we should buy our house with that man. Yeah. The, the bus driver. Um, but um, so the other, the other thing is there's some things that you don't do that uh, a lot of agents do do and uh we want to hear more about that so door knocking right your your take on door knocking your, your take on cold open calling. houses yeah. and cold calling because this is something that we're talking you are an anomaly in the industry talking this way so give it to us so let me tell you like door knocking it's exhausting it you know you, i don't like rejection i don't know many people who do um, <laughs> and and i get it you're not going in there saying you want to buy or sell yeah. or whatever you're just introducing yourself but think about this when i come home at 6 p.m and I'm having supper, or I'm sitting at home relaxing, watching TV, whatever I'm doing. Um, the last thing I want to do is get off my couch and go answer the door and have a salesperson introduce themselves to me. So why do I think I'm special that someone's gonna wanna see my face at their front door, right? Like there's no reason for me to be there. Um, number two, I don't want that you're gonna cold piss off call. so many mentors. Their mentees are gonna call. I mean, you know yeah. what he said? He said yeah. this is. I yeah. agree with him. Yeah. Well, like, like, look, 1978 called. They want their cold calls back. Yeah, like, yeah, stop yeah. doing old habits. You know what your cold call is? You know what your door knock is? Is social media. Your CRM is your social media. Yeah. Like people haven't evolved to understanding. Like young people. I'm 52 years old. I'm on social media every single day. I'm engaging with my audience every single day. My, my CRM, my database is not a Rolodex anymore. Yeah. It is social media. That's where I engage. When little Johnny gets his first goal, that's where I say congratulations to little Johnny, mm -hmm. right? And, and that's where you're engaging with your, with your sphere. And that's where you're going to have um, a community built around. So it's community branding that you're doing when you're on social media, doing that type of thing, as opposed to, let me knock on the doors. If you want to do my knocking on the door and my cold calling was my 33,000 flyers every three weeks in your mailbox because I had a captive audience from the time they picked it up at the super mailbox to the recycling bin. Because yeah. you're going to look at the the picture and the ad and right. it goes straight into the, I knew I was ending up in the recycling <laughs> bin. I, I was not, no you know, not going to flatter myself thinking <laughs> yeah, they're yeah. taking it in and <laughs> reading it and putting it on their fridge, right? But... But those are the things that you've got to think about is like, what annoys you? Do you like being sold to? Do you like a cold call? You know, duck cleaners? Do you like yeah. duck cleaners calling no, you? No, so no, why no. do we think we're special? I think that's perspective, right? Because you just said you still technically cold call and door knock, but you just do it in a different way, yeah. right? And you've been innovative. You've kind of, uh, you looked at what's working right now and you're just jumping on that and making use of that, right? So yeah. how much percent of your business is coming from your your social I, i'm up to 35 percent of new business comes from social media like okay. brand new business that i've never done before just dm reaching out absolutely that kind of thing. okay constantly and then another 30 to 35 percent is my past clientele that's reaching out so i'm 65 percent of my business is done on social media and and that's such a huge number and the cost virtually zero yeah 
right? Other than the pay-per-click ads and that type of thing that you're doing for your listings, you can't beat that. And the shares and the engagement that I'm getting on that, um, I sh I'm guilty of not doing more videos because yeah. that is where really, you it's know, going. you can have that. You're exactly. here today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah thanks. Um, I haven't um, figured out how to do TikTok without looking silly. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Help them out. Yeah, I got to step in there on that one. Yeah, yeah that's right. Are He's you are you TikTok good at social videos. media and other stuff? Do you are you on there a lot? Me, yeah, I I use social media more just for personal though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't do any type of marketing or anything like that over social media. But yeah, I'm on you know TikTok and Instagram, Snapchat's still pretty big with my age group. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm somewhat around the social realm with things. I'm sure you can pick it up so quickly. I do, yeah. Oh my god. I don't know. I better get back on Snapchat. Do you know what Snapchat is? Yes, I know. I don't know. I assume you don't have Snapchat. I'm fifty two, I'm not dead. I don't know. I don't know. Like my parents know what TikTok is, but Snapchat they're like, We can't keep up with all of your apps. My mom would be like, What is the Snapchat and the TikTok? I don't understand. What is it? Oh, yeah. I, get it, I love when you uh, pretend to be when a mom. I give, when I give my mom's <laughs> So um, it, we're talking about branding and advertising and all that. And so I think a lot of the newer realtors, we've been spoiled. Like we, we don't have to spend money on flyers and stuff. So I'm just wondering, just point of reference, how much were you spending initially if you were sending out flyers for the whole year? So I, I would, I would have three hundred thousand or three hundred sixty thousand flyers printed at once. So the cost per flyer was probably, I think, around three and a half to four cents per mm. per piece. But I was using Canada Post for my delivery because that's, you know, you're not giving it to a kid. I used to be a newspaper kid, so I know what oh. newspaper kids used yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just right? throw those things out, right? Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, it, so by putting it through Canada Post, it, um, you know, depending on which company you're with, they have accounts with. Uh, the large brands have accounts with Canada Post. That was eleven cents a piece. So you know, you're 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 fifteen cents per piece times let's say thirty thousand. Mm -hmm. So it's a big expense to get that piece out there. But if you look at the ROI on that, the return yes. on that, you know, if you get one listing out of that, that covers that, and you're going to get more. Right. But it's consistency. Um, you can't I, just send it out once. Exactly. And like there, there, there's a branding company that that had years ago that I read somewhere that someone needs to see your name or your face 11 times before they'll actually remember you. Um, now, you're lucky if you've got a name like Bianca or Faisal or Yusuf, not so much Jessica, yeah. where yeah. it's a unique name. Yeah. So use that to your advantage, right? And, and, and that people will remember foreign mm -hmm. names or something unique about you yeah. uh, more than they will if you're Bill Smith. Big one. That's yeah. true. That's true. And so now you've kind of moved over to the the social aspect of it. I mean, this is how Faisal ended up being here. We yeah. connected over social. I mean, I did hear about him when we were in Vegas for the Remax convention. Nice. One of my colleagues, Vadim, came up to me. He's like, "Do you know who that is? You need to go buy his book." I'm like, okay, I'm on it. <laughs> Got the book, and then we connected via social media, yeah. and then you know now you're sitting here. So there is a lot, a lot of power in that for in, in sure. Social media. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was reading that you got into development. Yes. So tell us a little bit about the process, the, the, oh my gosh, the transition from selling residential homes to wanting to get into, and then what's beyond that? I'm sure you're already thinking about other things beyond development. What's there? Yeah. So 
you know, we have a real estate license, but we haven't figured out how to monetize that license. So there's so much you can do with your license. You could be a property manager, you could be a mentor, you could be a coach, uh, you could be an author, you could be a team leader. There's so many different aspects, but you could also be a partner and you can bring opportunities to larger groups and start participating in those investments. And we talk about having skin in the game. So how how much confidence will an investor have when you say, hey, I, whether like, let's talk, talk small scale. If you're buying, if you're selling a condo project that I've already bought a unit or I'm buying a unit and I'm in phase one and I'm getting in at this price and you're coming in at the same price as I am. Now, you, with me, I always had this desire to develop. Um, or and to build things and to and had a vision and and I would see a piece of land and especially in an area like Cambridge where I grew up um, I could see a piece of land and say you know this would be really good for a plaza or this would be really good for I'm not a commercial agent at all but I had had these I'd wake up in the middle of the night with a vision that this is something that I want to build uh, and I would actually execute that the next day and I would come up with different ideas and then I would call people that I thought could partner with me because I couldn't do it alone, especially in my earlier years. And some of my partners that, have been that with very me for first, over 20 years. That very first plaza that you, that you got going. That's what I want to that, ask that's about. That's the crazy one, right? That's, yeah. that, that is a, that is a the real story of resilience and persistence that I want to, I want to hear about. Yeah. I to tell her till the very last yeah, yeah, yeah. minute. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, Yusuf was, I think uh, a year old and we were in uh, Montreal and I had been trying to buy this parcel of land for a long, long time, but the um, owner wouldn't sell me the whole four acres. Um, it was just two acres. And at that time he wanted $500,000 for the two acres. And um, it was in Montreal and it was, I think it was Christmas Eve. And um, I, I hop onto the internet and, to, and this, this listing shows up. So I call the agent that night and I said, listen, is this all the four acres? He goes, yeah, the gentleman passed away, unfortunately. Wow. And the wife said, just sell the whole thing. And they were asking, I think, 550 for all of it. Wow. I didn't have that kind of money. This was back in 2000 and... Uh, two or three sorry 2003 um so i called a friend of mine who was a doctor uh he had just come to canada and his father was a doctor and i said guys you guys gotta like consider this. this and he goes well you know i'm just staying still paying off debt and all this kind of stuff and the dad said i've got three kids in med school i don't have a mm. lot of money i said okay well you come up with whatever you can and i'll figure out the rest of it and I borrowed everywhere I could to buy this land. And um, we bought it for $535,000. And um, it was four acres. So I got part of it rezoned for a plaza. And then I got the other half rezoned for a residential townhome development. And the city planners just looked at me and said, you're nuts. Like, this is not, this is commercial Especially land. Especially because we're in, Cam this is Cambridge, right? So yeah. this is, this is this is quite a while ago, right? This is before yeah. anybody had any true foresight of That's how... Right. Uh, what Cambridge would turn out to be. And yeah. it was in the very south end where we were surrounded by farms. Like there was nothing there. And everybody's looking at me saying, you're nuts. Like, what are you doing here? And now I didn't develop it till 2007. So bought in 2003, mm -hmm. sat on it for four years. Then Empire Communities came in and bought everything around me. And I was the only commercial land there. Mm. That's when I went to the city and said, okay, I want to build a plaza. I want to put five apartments above it. And the reason I wanted the apartments, because I had learned from 
my bankruptcy at the age of 19 that commercial tenants can all move out on you. But if I have residential, mm. at least I'll be able to make my mortgage payments. And when I went there, they said, no, we're not going to support this. And this is before there was this movement for intensification and the need for housing and affordable yeah. housing. And and that was my argument. I said, well, people got to live here. Like there's, this is going to be an affordable building yeah. with apartments above it. Um, severed off the two acres. Anyways, we got the approval. Uh, 2007, we start building this plaza. And How did you get to start building the plaza? Since you likely, did you, did you have all the money for no, it? No, zero. Start? I had zero. Uh, a hope and a prayer. And a vision. So I went to the bank and they like, no, you know, you don't have You, you have land. This is just land, yeah. raw land. Raw land. Yeah, not serviced even. Okay. So I found a commercial builder and the deal I made with him was, I'll tell you what, I'll sign over the land to you. You build this out. I'm going to work really hard to get this thing leased. And by the end of, two, and this was the beginning of 2007, by the end of 2007, I will get takeout financing because I'll have the whole plaza leased and you'll give me the keys and take the lien off of the land. Mm -hmm. But if I don't, you get to keep the land. You're already putting your money in there to build yeah, it for me. Yeah. I've signed over the land to you. So you've got nothing to lose. And they agreed. So when you had nothing and no other way of being able to build this, you found this way. That's isn't that extraordinary? That's yeah, because so extraordinary. not many people would yeah, they'd look around and be like, oh, crap, I got to go try to get more loans or sell more properties or make more money or sell this thing. Like, I've reached a dead end. What do I do? And you literally went and you found a builder and you exchanged a service. That is incredible. Absolutely. It's awesome. Yeah. It's and awesome. and that's, that's what you have to do is come up with creative ways to make things happen. Now, I leased it all out. It was great. Um, got the apartments leased out as well, except I couldn't get occupancy. And I write about this in the book and oh, yeah. I went to the city and said, okay. And the only way for me to get my money from the bank to pay the builder who had a deadline of December 31st was to get the financing. So December 15th, 18th, still no occupancy. Finally, I get to the point where we can get occupancy and the city inspector says that you don't have a connected fire detection monitoring system yet. I'm like, What's what? That? <laughs> like, yeah. What all, everything's in here. Well, he goes, yeah, you, unless you have this monitor. Did the builder miss that? It was that. No, it was, was just... all there, but we, because of the Christmas holidays, it was, it was, it was now we were at the 23rd. Yeah. City Hall's closing at 3 Things p.m. closed, yeah. yeah. Um, my advance is ready from the bank, provided I have occupancy permit. I can't get occupancy permit unless. without, because I have residential apartments upstairs. So now I'm in a real problem here. I'm like, well, what does that mean? He goes, well, you have to have somebody monitor because if there's a fire, the alarm's got to go off. I said, well, that's not going to happen. Like I can't get these guys in to connect even right now. It's 3 p.m. and it's about to be Christmas Eve. So Everyone listen very closely to what happens <laughs> next. So they said to me, well, unless you, then the, the planner was nice enough to say, the city planner was nice enough to say to me, well, you might be able to get a security company to come in and, you know, sit there all night until you get your 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 uh, alarm connected to a monitoring company and i said well where am i going to find this? so i start calling security and of course at the last minute you can't get a security mm -hmm. service to come there so i call him back and i said okay what if does it have to be a licensed security service? he goes no uh i said like what if i'm there he goes well like where are you going to live 
I said, well, there's an empty <laughs> apartment. Uh, what if I live there? He goes, well, you'd understand that we have bylaw people that are going to check up on you to make sure that, so you can't like, you've got to be there 24 seven. So from Christmas Eve to the 27th, I got a sleeping bag and I stayed there so that I could get occupancy permits so that I could get my money so I could pay the builder so he doesn't take my land away from me and my mm -hmm. plaza away from me. Yeah, and that's right. You were too young to remember dad wasn't there for Christmas. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Daddy wasn't there. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I just remember playing in the dirt when it was getting good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Good memories yeah. only. But that was the only way for me to get occupancy permit. Yeah, that's 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 a true story of someone who, you know, was able to he was very resilient, sacrificed a lot. And we need, to, we need to actually make clear as well, because people hear these stories all the time. People who are younger, they hear these stories and, and you know, and actually it's the same mindset of, of sort of millennials or younger people getting into the into real estate now going, yes, it's easy to talk like that, grandpa. You know, when I was your age, I bought a house for $60,000 mm -hmm. and I, oh, I can't yeah. do it now. But the thing is that there are people who are looking at this situation, this story and thinking, well, that was a different time. You bought land for that much. You can't buy land for that much. But that is a lie, isn't it? Absolutely. There is a lot more opportunity out there in a very similar fashion to exactly what you went through. And there's so much untapped potential yeah. in surrounding areas. Um, so if you're out there and you're hearing these stories and you're a young person who wants to get into development uh, and has that dream as a realtor or as just a regular person, yeah, you gotta you gotta take a chance. You have to take a chance. And you know, for me, it was I started with zero, so the only way was up. Up, uh, right? It wasn't that. What did I have to lose, really? You know, I mean, I, in that moment, I had a lot to lose. Yeah. yeah but yeah. what did I have to lose by by getting a builder on side? And okay, I would have lost the land. I would have lost. I would have risked, you know, over half a million but, but dollars. But the, the the alternative was. Well, there was, what is that there? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right? Exactly. So you made this really good decision. Yes, right? absolutely. And, and, and we kept half an acre uh, vacant on that plaza because we were going to do a, a standalone pad site. And of course, I went back to the city a year ago and I said, you know what? There's a housing need here. So we're, let's build 10 stacked townhomes. Mm. And then again, they said, you're crazy. Like, why would you <laughs> you're, you're going to build 10 stack homes on a plaza site? I'm like, yeah, just behind. And I'm not severing it off. I'm keeping it as a rental property. And we finally got permit on that. Oh, and we're starting beautiful. to dig at the end of the month. Yeah. Holy cow. That's, oh, that's, that's exciting. one of your first properties that and you're I, digging I'm now. I'm still developing wow. on it. Yeah, still developing See, on what it. What a and patience. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Time and patience. Love yeah, it. exactly. And sometimes, you know what, with land especially, uh, it, it, it pays to wait. It pays to wait because there's not any of it being created right now. How would you... How would you um, what type of uh, criteria would you use when looking for land today and good deals and potential? It's becoming very difficult right now, but don't buy in a location where it's the hot spot today. Mm. Buy where it's going to be the hot spot in the next seven to 10 years. So you have to play the long game when it's land and you have to vision as to, and, and you have to know municipal bylaws. You need to know what the official plan is. You need to know where the services are. So if, if your water and sewer is 20 miles away, um, it's probably gonna be more than 10 years before you're gonna see development happen mm -hmm. there. But if it's around the corner, 
but it just hasn't made it up to your site yet, which in my case, most of the lands that I've purchased um, have done that. And I, I've been buying land since, like I said, the early 2000s, and we're, we still haven't developed most of it. Wow. Because we're just waiting. And buy in areas that, you know, I, I, I stumbled across uh, 30 acres of land, a farm, farmer's field in Fergus uh, about six years ago. Um, and that has gone 10 times the value mm -hmm. as a result of this urban sprawl movement mm -hmm. where, you know, Guelph is now moving towards Fergus. Nobody thought about going to Fergus. Nobody thought about going to Woodstock or Ingersoll or Tilsonburg. And land was extremely cheap. So syndications partner with people. If you have five investors that can come in and, and invest with you, and this is what I talk about monetizing, you're not just salespeople, we are also investors. Mm -hmm. And that's where you monetize your license. Use your license for other things that are gonna give you growth um, and give you, I talk about a Lexit strategy, which is leveraging your exit. So if, when you want to leave the business at some point, you don't really need to leave the business because you're gonna leverage everything you're doing up to that point and how you can, Realtors really don't have an exit strategy for there's, the most there's part. There's that running joke saying that I've been to a lot of realtor funerals, but not a lot of retirement parties. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So if you can build your brand up and you can build your business up to a point that you actually have something that's saleable at the end. Insurance people have a book of business. They sell mm -hmm. that book of business. Mm -hmm. What do realtors have? They have a good buy party and go to Florida and put the white <laughs> shoes on and we're well, done. Wait, do they? Do, do, hold on. What about realtors' books of business? Do they? Has that been tapped? Does anyone sell those? How does that, how does that it, work? It's, it's a very difficult model, right? right? Like you may have a client. I've had clients that I've had for 10 years and I'm as good as the uh, next person that offers them 1% off right. more than I right. do. Yeah. So what's keeping them with you? But if you can build the system and you can build um, a proper model and a pro proper brand, you know, your phone number is your brand. My phone number is 519-624-5555. Do you think I can sell that number? Absolutely. Because mm -hmm. I've had 30 years of clients calling that number. So when I decide to retire, I'm going to sell it. My website, my Instagram page, my social media platforms, my entire system, my network is monetizable. And that's what we have to create as realtors because otherwise you're just retiring and checking out. So you mentioned the system, and uh, I think this is a really important part of your book. So tell us a little bit more about this system and um, how you came about creating the system and what it has provided you. So I start the system by saying everything you've been taught in real estate is wrong. And it's true. It is wrong because it's old school. I've listened to coaches and, and keynote speakers go up, and I'm thinking like, you haven't sold a house in 30 years. What are you talking about? Like, have you been in the trenches, right? So the system talks about scaling down, which is don't look at a geographical location and say, I, got to, I want to be everywhere. I started with 300 homes. I, I increased to 33,000 homes, but I scaled down. I didn't say I want to be everywhere. And I became known in that area. You need to become synonymous with the industry that you're in. So your brand will do that. Then you get benches and, and billboards and buses. And I use a 20% factor. 20% of my gross income in the earlier years was going towards marketing. I was reinvesting. And I talk, the example I give is if you open up a clothing store, or a, a variety store, whatever, you've got to buy inventory. You've got to stock your shelves. Your marketing is stocking mm. your shelves. We have billions of dollars worth of inventory that we don't have to buy. If you open up a car lot, 
you got to go buy those cars and then you've got to sell those cars. We have billions of dollars worth of free inventory. How do you get people to come to your lot through your branding, through your marketing? So that's where you need to invest your money. And if you're not investing, people don't do that. I, I talk about don't door knock, don't exhaust, don't do anything that's going to make you hate this business. Yeah. Do the things that make you love this business. I'm glad that I got your book so early in the game. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I was but, starting to get there a little bit with the, with the frustration, with the, the traditional methods. Yeah. And then I talk about multi-level partnering. Yes. So multi-level <laughs> partnering, we talk about on an investment side for one, which we've just talked about. The other is multi-level partnering with in your industry. So I do not have a team. I sell over 400 homes without having a team. I refer buyers out. I work on my own listings. Somebody calls for me. I show up at their door, it, it, whether it's a lease or, uh, or, or a $5 million home or a $300,000 home. They're, they called for me. They're going to get me. Yep. I have three full-time unlicensed staff that manages my entire business so I can show up and do what I do because I'm useless at everything else. But that's what I, I can do, right? I can sell, I can engage, I can talk with my clients and everything else that I'm not, you can have 30 listings. You cannot have 30 buyers. So my model is based around how to capture the listings and then how to be a lead generator for a network. So if I was referring somebody to the Niagara area, I would call you and you would give me a referral fee for that. So I do that in my local market. I have five agents that I'm referring to constantly, but they're not restricted from branding themselves. So it's a place of abundance that I'm mm -hmm. coming from saying, look, I've got a lot coming in. Yeah. I can't deal with it. I'm going to share it with you, help you grow your business. And I've had agents that have been with me for nine, 10 years yeah. that are, they've got their own buses. They've got their own billboards. They've got their own marketing. They're not restricted. I want them to grow. I want them to grow to a point where their plate is full so then I can get someone new, fresh, young, hungry, yep. r ambitious, ready to go and then help. And every time they do a transaction, I'm sharing in that as well. So that's the model that I've created and it doesn't have any uh, resistance and there's no, nobody with their hand out saying, w w when's my next lead coming or mm. why, why am I giving you 50% on my best friend's deal or my, right, right. my, my uncle's deal? Like, why am I sharing with all you? Problems in an industry of teams. For oh sure. yeah. 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 And you know, like I, and, and I don't want to come across being negative towards team because some no. team models work very well. It hasn't worked for me. I have this philosophy. If you call me, I'll show up and people are often surprised, but showing up is 80% of my win. Yeah. Because every other top agent um, didn't show up at that listing appointment, and I did. And that right there shows them that I'm going to be on their, on their side, on their team. And I tell them, look, here's my number. Here's my email. You can call me, text me for the, for the next week, because that's how quickly we've been selling homes. Yep. I will be a part of your family, and we're going to be partners. And I love you will you have that me. line. Just use that line on me, and I'm like, just I'll sign. Where do I sign? Yeah, yeah that's great. Exactly. For next week, because that's how yeah. fast we're going to sell your yes. and, and and my my entire listing presentation revolves around taking someone through a journey, not selling on them. I, you know, I I don't wait for them to ask what my commission rate is. I talk about it. we're having a conversation, but I'm using NLP, neuro linguistic programming, right? So what I'm doing by that is when I come into their home, I'm not sitting down. The first tendency is let's sit down, let's talk. Why? What, I, like I want to be out of here in 45 minutes. I, yeah. I don't want to sit down and chat. So we tour the home. We're looking, but I'm learning their behavior. I'm learning what their, what their triggers are. 
and you know are they really excited about their home are they gonna and they're gonna and and that conversation is what warms them up to working with me i'm not waiting for them to ask me what the commission is going to be i'm never asking them what do you think your home is worth you know how many agents ask that question when they go and sit down you guys don't i hope you don't but you know when you <laughs> no, say but i've the, heard no i've definitely yeah. seen that after all this information you've been presented with I mean, if yeah. you look at think? if you honestly look at any guru or youtube style video that talks about listing presentation even okay i'm not going to name brands but yeah they all they all say this they yeah. all they all say yeah, so there's like, and I'm thinking, well, you know, and I say this to other agents, well, what the heck are you there for? Like, if they already knew what their home was worth. So if you can show them examples, and then I show them the marketing and how I'm going to leverage my brand to get the audience, where I'm going to market, who the people are going to be that are going to come. And then I take them on that on that uh, presentation journey of when the offers come. Here's what, So they're so excited about that whole process. They're not even thinking yeah. about well, you know, how, did you mention the walkout basement? Like, we're not talking about stuff like that. Yeah. That all happens later. But I show up completely prepared. The listing is already ready in hard copy. And I have it loaded on DocuSign as well, so that if they don't sign in that moment, it's ready to go. And I don't close. So never be closing is my motto. Not ABC, it's wow. NBC. Yep. So I, I start packing up at the end of my presentation. And I say, you will never hear from me again unless you choose to call me. I'll respect your privacy. Yep. And they're like, we're already signed. Where, where, where are you going? going? Where are you going? <laughs> we're not exactly. done. <laughs> so that's my close. Yeah. Like that you'll never hear from me again. So make them feel insecure. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like you, you want what you can't have, right? Exactly. So you're literally telling them like, hey, I don't need your business. Let me know. But I'm, I'm seeing it in a way that like I'm not here to pressure them into making yeah. a decision that yeah. they know the decision they wish to make and what they and, and I tell them, look, I'm not going to be the, the discount realtor that you're, you might be expecting. My rate is 5%. Yeah. Okay. And I'm not discounting that because, I mean, we've already discounted from 6%. Our market has gone down. Right. Mm. We're down to agents are charging 3%. Yeah. So wow. I'm not, but I'm showing them why I'm going to bring value to them and how I'm going to get them better results by marketing in areas that traditional realtors are not going to do. And I'm not just putting up a sign and going home and praying every night that your home is going to sell. I'm going to actually do the work that's required. What do you say about the current market situation where, you know, when you do come into a listing presentation, you used to have pretty decent comparables, comparables that would give them a very good idea of what their home is worth. And since this sort of chaos has been happening, we have a home that sold next door for 1.3 and then the, the one right beside it, exactly the same, just sold for 950. So how do you reconcile that? How do you, how do you, what do you, what do you talk about when it comes to that? You have to speak in real time, yeah. right? So what i was telling my clients in february now the changes month to month now uh, or week to week yeah even, right? so yeah. um everybody that i met and i'll do three to five cmas a day evaluations a day i i will go back to each of them every week and give them a market update it's an email just an email letting them know hey the market has changed and that's actually says that the subject is the market has changed so they're going to read that and here's the latest update, good or bad. And I've been doing that for years. And we're also, that's one of our contact uh, methods. It's letting our clients know at least every six months, everybody in our database gets an update on what the value of their home is in today's market. Mm -hmm. And that way, again, it doesn't need to be, you know, I don't show up on, on the closing day with a big gift basket, but I'm gonna stay in touch with you and I'm gonna give you something every single year 
uh, and that's where the community branding comes in. Yeah. And I talked about that. It's that, you know, once you get to a point where it's literally impossible for me to get to 7,000 of my clients every every year or whatever. So I have to do something on a larger scale, whether it's a charitable event or um, a, a festive event or something, because you can't house 7,000 people. And that's sort of the goal that I had from day one is to to give back to the communities that I'm working with as opposed to individually trying, because everybody else, is, they're going to forget the bottle of wine you gave them on the day yeah, of closing, yeah. but they won't forget the annual things that you do uh, for them and for the community. The experiences. Yeah. So you just mentioned goal and that, and that reminded me there was something I wanted to um, talk to you about. What goal were you driven by when you just got into the industry? And I assume that has changed over time, right? It's been over 30 years. Um, was there a really big goal that you were driven by that really led you to keep persevering and keep pushing through? It was the fear and it was, I don't want to be poor and wow. I don't ever want to worry about money so for me it was how do i do that without compromising ethics and all that and like i said being a young person in the industry you could meet the wrong people and pick up wrong habits mm. and that's where mentoring is so important and getting the right people on your side and learning from the right people is very important but for me it was just i wanted to create a beautiful life for me and my family and initially the goal was to help my parents because my, my, my father went through a tragic accident when we were only three years into this country and he lost his right arm and my mom would walk to work and we saw the struggles of our parents and we wanted my brother, myself, how many, my sister. How many, you were three siblings. My brother's a year older than mm -hmm. I am. My sister's five years younger than me. Um, but it was, you know, those, those struggles um, actually you build muscle memory and and, and it, it helps you sort of deal with things and 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 cope with things as you feel you know face adversity in right. your life but it also gives you the motivation and ambition that i want a life not only to make my life better but to help my parents so that was a big motivator for me you know i would have gladly gone to university had my parents been in a position to be able to pay for everything and buy us cars and do all those yeah, things. Yeah, without question. But yeah. that wasn't an option back then. And uh, my brother had just gone to university. My sister was following behind. And I saw an opportunity where I could help my family come out of this cycle of just paycheck to paycheck. You were able to see that rather quickly too, right? The two months into it was was such a great indicator that that was the way to to go. Yes, right. Of course, well. it didn't last very long, yeah. but it was you know the, the recession. <laughs> the hit. Result, you know, the result, yeah. the initial result was yeah. there, right? Yeah. So yeah. That, you, well, and I questioned him. my decisions for the first five years. Yeah. Oh. You know, I, I like should I be doing this? Should I just maybe Sounds go get like a, a job? That's every realtor. Like, that's yeah. like, welcome to like every realtor's yeah. <laughs> morning morning coffee thoughts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where you start second guessing. It's like I should have had a degree. I should have had something to fall back yeah. on. Like, w like, what am I gonna do? You know, so, and then that's that's your Uber didn't exist then. I didn't yeah. have Uber as a chance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there were no backups. Yeah. I think you had mentioned uh, that you didn't even have a car when you first got into the nope. industry, right? I, so for my first, um, when I got my license, my friend Jeremy, his dad owned the Century 21 in town. So after school, I asked Jeremy, well, Jeremy said to me, go see my dad. So I walked from school downtown 
to go see Jeremy's father at Century 21. And he looked at me and said, son, you know, you look like you're 12. <laughs> um, just go to school, get a degree, oh and then come see me in four or five years yeah. and we'll help you out. <laughs> and so I was waiting for the bus at the bus terminal. And that's when I remembered that Mr. Maneri had an office across uh, the bus terminal just above the old Royal Trust uh, Bank. And I thought, I wonder if he's still there because my dad would take us up there when we were looking for apartments to rent. And so I walk up and I see his name on the door and knock on it. And there's Mr. Maneri sitting behind the big oak desk. And I said, hi, it's, uh, you know, Faisal, I'm Sikander's son. And he remembered my dad and he invited me to walk in. He was 74 at the time. 74 and you were 18 or 19? I was 18. 18. 18. Wow. And, and I, so I had qualified for, I didn't, I didn't have my license because you needed a broker. So I said, Mr. Oh, yeah, Maneri. The articling. There was the right. articling back then. Well, it was not. It was not. No, there was no articling. It was just you had to be under a broker. Yes. So I had my courses done, yep. but a broker had to license you through Ministry of Consumer and Commercial Relations. RICO didn't exist back then. And um, he said, well, I'm about to retire in a few months. But yeah, sure, you know, but Aww. as long as you come in here after school every day. So after school, I'd walk down. And then when I had an appointment, I would ask my mom to borrow her car. If I could get a hold of her, yeah. like because we didn't have cell phones back then. Oh my gosh! Right? Oh. Pagers? What were they? they were pagers <laughs> and, and yeah. a phone, a, a car phone. And, and the pager was uh, it was a voice, so it would go beep beep, and then mm -hmm. the voice would, and my mom would be giving me her uh, grocery <laughs> list or something, right? <laughs> right. So it was, it was it was different times, but oh I did gosh. I did I did save up enough money to go out and buy a car, which I did, and convinced Mr. Maneri to buy me a car phone. Mm -hmm. It was a GE car phone. It had a speaker, like I had a microphone like this <laughs> off the visor, and it was in the car, oh and it came with this. People talk like, you, you yeah. know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's so on, far yeah. and wild, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I can't even imagine. You're yeah. like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and it had a briefcase that had another charger in it, and it was with Cantel that was my provider. It was $1.50 a minute. A minute. To be wow. on the phone. There was no text messaging, of course. It was just yeah. $1.50 a minute. And my monthly bill would be seven to $800. But imagine oh my God. How, what a trailblazer he was. That oh, in yeah. a time where people would respond within 24 hours, 48 hours even. Yes, you had to go to the office and get the little pink slip that with your name on it and then you'd call. So imagine wow. somebody would call my pager and within minutes I'd be on that phone calling them back and they're like wow we just like how did you like we were expecting because 24 hours was reasonable it was reasonable not yeah. more but 24 hours was reasonable to get back to people well that still stands true today like when you get internet leads coming in yeah if you don't if call you, them within five minutes ten minutes yeah yeah, yeah. so you're already innovating you're like all right i gotta move forward i gotta be have five you, steps uh, ahead have you ever read the alchemist no I you're a mod your 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 life is a modern day version of the alchemist Interesting. I've been reading this. Go out and buy that book. You're going to love it. We'll send one your okay. way. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> so, Yusuf, yourself, do you have any goals that you're really driven by or something that really like sets your, your soul on fire? Yeah, like, I mean, uh, for starters, you know, see how hard dad works day in and day out. You know, you see the ups of and the downs, so, you know, from a personal and yeah. a business perspective. So, for me, like, you know, I kind of want to just aim for the same thing, you know, be able to make a name for myself as well, uh, get that education, get a degree, keep my marks up. Uh, you know, fortunately enough, I didn't have, I don't have the fear of, you know, poverty and, and um, you know, having to worry about a paycheck. Um, but, you know, on my own, I'm able to do different things that can kind of drive me to get towards those same goals. So for me, you know, it's graduating 
every year with honors or nice. uh, so I, I like to set little goals along the way and True then point. kind of I'm still holding off a little bit on what that the puts you ahead of the is. rest of us to be <laughs> yeah. honest with you yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. I just set little goals along the way um, you know whether that comes to marks on exams or extracurriculars how I'm getting involved how I handle myself around people uh, and then Oof. yeah so then that's just how I kind of go day to day and then eventually that adds up to you know what I hope to be my own version of uh, success beautiful how do you well this is I really guess a question answer. to to all of us you mentioned success and I think that's huge I think we all measure success in a very very different way to some success means having x amount of money in the bank account to others it could be being a great person like you mentioned the way you know you carry yourself with people how people feel after they leave you know having a conversation with you so I guess this is a question to all of us how 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 do you measure success Faisal we'll start with you and then we'll go around for me it's it's the peace you feel at the end of the day that's how i and and that's the ha the happiness and the peace you have in your heart and as long as the people around you are happy peaceful healthy and fulfilled and if you feel fulfilled then you're successful and i've always celebrated the small wins so that when i've got a loss i've got someone something to look back mm. on and not get hung up on that loss. So for me, it's just having fulfillment and a happy life is success. Beautiful. Yusuf? Yeah, I, um, you know, I pick up on what my dad said about the little wins. Like, yeah, um, <laughs> I noticed that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like um, uh, for me, like I said, I'm still a full-time student. You know, sometimes that means staying at the library till 2 a.m. and and studying, wow. pulling the all-nighters and stuff like that. You're going to miss those days. You don't think you might, but you, yeah, yeah, exactly. you might. Yeah. yeah, so like for me, it's again, like uh, I kind of agree with the whole celebrating the little wins part. Like for me, um, you know, I've struggled with burnout, uh, you know, anxiety, mental health. Uh, so I, I learned to appreciate some of the wins, uh, especially when, you know, you kind of had to go through a little more than you were hoping to to get mm -hmm. to them. Uh, but yeah, to add to that, you know, your question about success, um, you know, a good friend of ours actually kind of taught me this is there's three components to it. Uh, the first is doing well. So, you know, that means sustaining an income uh, at a level at which you're you're OK with your lifestyle. You're you're cool with how you're living. You're totally satisfied. Mm -hmm. uh, second component being doing good. So um, like my dad was talking about around the community. Uh, doing good for others around you and then as long as you're doing those first two with a passion then you're pretty much doing you're just successful in life at that nice. point and so yeah that's kind of how I live my version of wanting to be successful I love that you have a very wise son such a young age but uh <laughs> Bianca it's actually very there's there's a thing that you guys both have in common and there's a bravery about speaking about the things that people don't usually speak about so for you it was um the driver behind success a lot of people don't say fear because because it's a taboo thing to say I was scared shitless that I was going to be poor like that is yeah. that is and you know some people uh, you know the way that they they say it you know I, I really wanted to do this enter positive spin on whatever it is that that takes courageousness and then so does being able to admit even as a teenager that there's anxiety and there's burnout and there's yeah. there's shit that you're dealing with all the you time know, all yeah. the time yeah. right and, and people your age are dealing with it all the time and they're not alone so yeah, that's it's a mass problem especially with covid yeah uh, you see it around universities like the 
like when you look at the statistics even of people who have been seeking out like mental health supports and you know counseling services it's skyrocketed since online school because there's no structure to your life at that point it's you know right figuring out and for our age up until high school and stuff it was all about okay here's what you do every day and structure yeah there's a lot of structure in life and then we got thrown into online school learning how to use all these different online systems and it just it created a load of burnout and it's kind of felt across I think the board for at least my age group and I'm sure even in your guys industry it gets to that same point you guys had to make some changes with COVID as well and so yeah I think uh, that's a big part of it especially yeah. social life right like not being exactly. able to see your friends that especially any any age under 20 under any age under 22 you're it's yeah it must have been very difficult well, yeah i went through 19 and 20 through covid yeah so. see that's all <laughs> i missed out well, yeah COVID. first right. year right first university yeah, yeah. first years. year was pretty boring yeah we yeah. it was it was pretty much the dorm room first year. <laughs> yes. wow. uh, that, that's where and then this year luckily we got to you know i think this year was the first time i, I live in london and for school the first time we even went out for dinner that's or awesome had lunches or did anything kind of you know fun or went to parties and stuff oh you know, nice, just, uh, nice responsibly <laughs> obviously yeah, yeah. Um, dad's here responsibly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but yeah it's, it's starting to get back on track so hopefully it all starts to balance out again good i'm Point happy is, for however, you guys. however yeah. it looks like in the moment there there are better times right around the corner yeah right. always always so how do you measure success Honestly, you know my answer. My answer is always the same. I never want to fill out another form or wait in another line ever again. I don't want to do another administrative task for as long as I live. And then that's success. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's honestly great. very different like, take, is, but yeah. very honest. Very yeah, honest. that's yeah. Take. honestly, yeah. Yep. I want to I want to do what I'm good at, which yeah. is being there for the person yeah. and being there with people and interacting with people and loving people and motivating people. Don't want to be in front of paperwork i can't do it (laughs) i know how to do it i don't want to do it and if i ever get a chance to not have to do it then i will feel so successful good that's it everyone take notes um as for myself i think i measure success with um the amount of time i have to do the things that i love to do so i would i guess i would say time freedom and so those things are spending time with my family spending time with my friends and i'm also driven by that fear like i'm realistic my parents aren't going to be with us forever and i wish they would be but that's not the case right so when mom and dad are no longer there will i be able to sustain myself and my life the the way it is now I don't know right so i'm also driven by that fear i'm like scared so if i can do whatever it takes now and whatever sacrifices i have to make i've had to make so many in the last year and a half and some days i cry about it and i'm like what am i doing like why am i even here right (laughs) and then i always have to remind myself of that bigger picture like my parents had their own struggles and they were not the same struggles you know it was more of like a language barrier and trying to figure out where to move and where should we raise our kids so that we're in a good neighborhood right so we're dealing with different challenges but i think ultimately um for me to be able to 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 measure that success is how much time i have with my family because i'm missing it right now but it's for a bigger picture and um you know just just it's not it's not about the amount of money that i have money grants us opportunities so i just want the money that i make to you be able time. To, to yeah to give me the time to, that's what i want the time you yeah. know the to time. to go and if i want to take a trip tomorrow because 
Bianca and I feel like it, like I want to be able to do that. Oh, yeah. you're taking right? me on this trip? Yeah, so, and I know Faisal, when we met for lunch about a month ago, you were telling me like you don't work on specific days. And I'm sure right. when you first started, you were working crazy hours. Yeah. But what whatever work you put in granted you the opportunity to now do that. Right. And so I think that's what a lot of us try to achieve. So for me, it's we just want to be time you. freedom. <laughs> so let me tell you, you guys got to get assistance if you don't already have an assistant. I have virtual assistants. I have two okay. virtual assistants. Good, good. Because but... that will directly impact your lifestyle and your free time and your income. It's being able to know what to properly delegate to an assistant. Right. That's that's one of the things I feel like I, I got the assistant. I was like, I have no idea what to give you. Like, I don't know what to, <laughs> I don't know what to give you other than. Yeah. How do you how do you navigate that? So every thought that comes into my mind it goes to my assistant. <laughs> That's how I navigate. How that. is it? You send her a text message, a voice note. Yeah, 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 yeah. Constantly, and I. So that makes sense. How often do you drive by something and like, oh, this is really good for mm. this client? And then by the time you get your destination, you get caught up, you forget about it, and so those are the little things that I learned very early on that. I don't, I don't let any of that go. As soon as I think about it, it gets mm -hmm. sent off. I got to purge my brain. Smart. At the end of every day, before I sleep, I send a complete list of everything that's been sort of weighing on me, anything that needs to be done, anything that needs to be followed up on. And like, so one of my assistants, Jennifer, she's basically my personal assistant as well. So she yeah. takes care of everything, like my appointments and making sure I get to my doctor's appointment, whatever it is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like like booking lunches, whatever it is, like she's doing everything for me. Um, even even my like personal development side, she's helping me with that. And then you've got, you know, someone that's doing your client services, making sure that they, you know, and, and if you've been wondering about something, I just put it in my text message actually it's an email that i'll send so i'm not waking them up all through the hours i'll get up at three in the morning or before i go to bed at two in the morning i'll i'll have a bunch of thoughts that i need to get off my plate yeah and i'll send them to the so when they come in the office in the morning and until recently at the end of every day they would send me a task list which uh showing what tasks were completed mm -hmm. so that i wouldn't have to keep asking them Oh, okay. So that type of thing. So if you've got a, a good assistant that is someone who can execute your thoughts and wishes, that's that's what you need. And that will help you just accelerate your business because nothing will fall off the desk. It will all get addressed. People people say this a lot. A lot of the most successful business people I know, this is the this is the key component here. Having an so, assistant. So, so get good at what you do enough that you can just get that assistant and then you'll get triple good at what you do. Yeah. 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 My, my income doubled yeah. the first year. You I said that. to Jennifer, she was working at her first desk, uh, first front desk, and I said to her, I may be able to give you eight to 10 hours a week. So let's start. And she was Small. still in school. She's worked 60 hours a week since. Wow. Like it has never yeah. been less than that. Yeah. She's been with me over 20 years like, mm -hmm. since this guy was born. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. Okay. So there's another thing that, you know, if, if anyone can take something away from this, I know there's a lot to take away, but get an assistant as soon as you can. How soon did you get an assistant? Very late. I, I, I waited too long. I was already 13 years in the business before I got an assistant. Wow. So I was doing everything myself, burning out. And then Yusuf was born. And I'm like, what am I doing all this for? I don't, I don't even see my son. So six months into 
him being born. You're like, that's it. Uh, that's it. And I, and I said to my wife, I said, why don't you go to work? You know, I'd like, I've got a very flexible schedule. I'm not that busy, you know? And I, I brought him to the office once uh, for, and I asked Jennifer to look after him. And of course she had to change his diapers and everything. <laughs> yeah, she still reminds me. She still uh, reminds me too. Yeah. And then oh I'm like, okay, God. this is not working. So Nat said, okay, I'll, I'll stay home and raise the kids and you go do your thing. And, yeah. and you know, when you have that support behind you, so it's not just assistant, it's like your whole family support system has got to be there, including these guys, you know, they've got, Pick a good partner. Around. Pick a good partner yeah. too. Yeah, absolutely. On the and, and you side. have to have, and, and, and whether it's a partner or family or somebody that's there to support you, encourage you, motivate you, push you on, that's what's needed. Well, we'll wrap this up. But before we wrap up, where can um, our viewers or listeners find you? I know we presented your book earlier, but where can they find you? You talk about social media. so Yeah, so my Instagram handle is just my first and last name, Faisal Suziwala. Uh, my website is homeshack.com. Like Radio Shack, this guy makes fun of me. He says, nobody talks about Radio Shack. Does anybody remember what Radio yeah, Shack was? Yeah, yeah. they're all the time. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, homeshack.com or uh, my email address is faisal at homeshack.com. Lovely. Awesome. Well, it was such a treat to have you both Thank here. You. Thank you for Thank having Thank you so us. much for accepting our invitation and to come and join us, too, us today. Thank you. I love I appreciate that. you guys having me. Yeah, <laughs> and thank you first. for the gifts as or, well, the books. We have some welcome. here. Faisal um, uh, very openly came and left some for us. So we have some that we'll be able to share with our viewers and listeners. And we hope to have you here again. We don't know when, but we'll we'll hope to, we to have you to. here once more. And thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. It was a lot thank of fun. Guys. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>